Hi Brickies, I'm Dominic, the last one standing with a kink for cannibalism. And I'm Kate, the resident phobia expert who also hears voices. And you're listening to Shit and Bricks. A podcast where we talk shit about stuff that scares us. Ripping a few laughs and survival tips along the way. As always, please subscribe, rate and review us. And don't forget to follow us on the socials at Shit and Bricks Podcast. Like the morning after a night on the curries and cans, here it comes. So drop your ducks, pop a squat and let's get into it. Unfortunately, I, the giant dildo story is not going to be in there. <laughs> we could always add in a giant dildo yeah. if we really <laughs> think that's appropriate for this PG audience. Oh, yeah, so true. So PG. <laughs> <laughs> F and C's. Oh, I just said swears. <laughs> Naughty. Amma. 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 Where does Amma come Where's from? Amma. Kate, I have done over years and years of worth of research trying to find the epidemiology of amma or where does it come from and no one knows where amma comes from so do you feel like maybe it's someone going um uh like you know like they're um because they don't know what to say and then like ah you've said the wrong thing okay and then it just turned into amma smarty pants can you just check yourself this is not an education podcast I can't help teaching things. It's it's occupational hazard. So You've just blown this whole thing out of my head. I'm like, okay, well, I've just wasted six years of my oh, life trying to no. find a complicated thing. No, I'm kidding. I've been looking up etymology of things and it's fun. I'll, I've got a couple of little etymolog- etymological... Ah. <laughs> I look up words. Cool. Cool. <laughs> High five, Kate. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> All right. Hi, Kate. Hello, Dom. How are you doing? I'm very well today. How are you? I'm okay. I'm still not processing much food at all. So toilet time is quite an interesting time at the Taranto Jones residence, but that's oversharing. Just thought I would go there. If we can't overshare on this podcast that goes out to at least six people, then when can you overshare? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your condolence emails, messages. It's much appreciated. <clears throat> Absolutely. So, Kate, let yes. me do my housekeeping and get that out of the way. I was thinking about this earlier. I would like to have a housekeeping sound effect. Okay. And it's like a ding housekeeping okay. something like that let um, me find is it. that something we can do it'll be inserted right here housekeeping i loved it housekeeping Thank corner with that. dominic housekeeping <laughs> so so cute i love that you've worn your maid's outfit too just to really tie in with the theme it's beautiful there's <laughs> <laughs> an arrow pointing I love it. Okay, so real quickly, a few reminders, folks. Kate and I have a very active Patreon account, which we would love for you to all go visit. Please subscribe, get access to a bunch of free stuff, free tickets, access to our upcoming tour, which, ooh, there's a bit of an Easter egg there. Stay tuned for that. Don't spoil it. (laughs) And bonus episodes, plus you get early access to all of our regular episodes. So please go check out Patreon. Secondly, I was a bit premature last week, Kate, because... Oh, it happens to some guys. Don't worry about it. (laughs) I know. (laughs) But that's okay. Doctor said it'll go away. Um... (laughs) The first part of the Bridgewater series, our Boopod Network Halloween special, 
uh, will actually be released tomorrow when we're recording this on a Monday. So, you know, time travel, blah, 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 blah. But mm-hmm. stay tuned. 4th of October should be the first part of our Bridgewater series with the Boopod right. Network. Go check it okay. out at the Nightcap. Perfect. So if you're listening to this currently, then it would have come out a couple of days ago. Exactly. So go and have a look for it. We will post on our socials. Make sure you're looking at those ploys. But you need to get part one because when it gets to our bit, you need to know what's going on and you want the whole story. Exactly. The scoop. Yeah. Right. The, the skinny. The, the download. The shitting bricks scoop. Yep. And last but not least, our Boopod uh, Network feature this week is the Haunted UK podcast, which is a bit of a famous podcast because Steve, our best buddy Steve, with your am- hi Steve, with your amazing voice. Oh my goodness! Oh, yeah. There's a lot going on for me there. Oh, you speak so beautifully. I would just tune in just for the your voice alone. Which is lucky. It's a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So if you don't even speak or understand English, just go listen to Steve. (laughs) Yeah. It's like listening to, I don't know, like a a film soundtrack or something. It's just nice, relaxing behind the scenes. Exactly. And Steve is one of the founders of Boopod Network. So a founding father, a founding father. (laughs) So in three, two, boopity boop, boopity boop, here's the trailer. Are you interested in stories of ghosts, poltergeists and the paranormal? Do you love an amazing tale of an unsolved mystery? A strange disappearance? How about a UFO encounter or even a first-hand sighting of a creature that should only exist in your nightmares? Why not join us over at the Haunted UK podcast where every two weeks we delve deep into the tales of the strange and unusual, the unsolved and the downright weird. The Haunted UK podcast is available on all major platforms, as well as being on Instagram and Coffee. So why not give us a follow and get involved with the show? Thanks for listening, and we really hope that you'll join us for our next episode. And on that note, it's back to the show. I love that. Can I say, because we don't, <laughs> so for those listening, we don't play the trailer when we're recording this. So Dom and I will go boopity boop and then we stare at each other. Like how much dead air do we need to give <laughs> to then include this in the edit afterwards? And it's it's getting longer every time. It's like, do we, we're not listening to it now. Do you know what's <laughs> really funny after. is if, if you watch the video recordings of our episodes, you'll get to see exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> you don't hear it. We don't hear it. Oh, it's brilliant. Okay. Behind Kate. the scenes, BTS. <laughs> Enough of Dom's housekeeping corner. Okay. It is your week. Please take me on a wild ride because I'm very traumatized from last week's trypophobia. Same. I'm traumatized. And you just, all the socials keep popping up and there's more things. It's just too much. (laughs) Okay. I'm bringing it back down to the roots. This is the second episode you will have switched on to claustrophobia number two, episode two. Okay. Now, the first episode, I cried. So (laughs) this one has going to take a little bit of a different turn. Uh, So stick with me because there's a few stories and things. Uh, Let's just get ready to have a fun time. (laughs) Please. Okay. (laughs) So I may have in the last episode, uh, I think that I did, but here's a little, uh, you know, phobia uh, info. Love to learn. 
love to learn. We're a, we're a teaching pod. We all know this. We're learning this. So now we're going to learn more about claustrophobia. Claustrophobia, it comes from the Latin word claustrum, which is a shut in place and the Greek term phobos, which is phobia yep. or fear. Uh, so, you know, phobia is used, we, that's the etymology is of a Greek word. So claustrophobia, the fear of confined spaces. Uh, it's one of the most commonly known phobias. And technically it falls under the situational classification. Um, so obviously it's not something that people will just suffer from necessarily in the everyday life. You need to be shut in somewhere closed in somewhere to feel this uh you know and this cannot be anything from like elevators planes crowded places um bathrooms mri machines are a big one yeah um but even windowless rooms like people can have sort of space around them but can feel the panic and fear from a windowless room now i love this one this is a lesser known phobia but it is linked and it is called cleithrophobia oh is cleith klaus's brother Cleith, yeah, little baby Cleith. <laughs> now, little baby Cleith uh, is a lesser known phobia. It relates to the fear of being trapped, locked in, and unable to escape. Oh, okay? so it's a bit more so, specific. It is more specific. So often this fear is related to a concern that one will experience panic or significant discomfort, yet will not be able to leave the situation. Mm. So even though that this phobia would technically require the same diagnosis as claustrophobia, as in it's like situational, um, and similar situations might trigger it, there is a significant difference. With claustrophobia, the fear is related to actually just being in an enclosed space. So you being in an elevator, being in a closet, being in a plane. But cleithrophobia, it's less about the size of the space and more related to being unable to leave. So that sense of being trapped. For example, if somebody is inside of a closet, so you you know, imagine yourself hopping inside of a closet, closing the door. I'm very familiar You've with it. You've been there. No longer in there. Well and truly out of there. But you were there for a good portion of your life. So you would know. Um, now, someone with claustrophobia would start to feel that sense of panic just being in the closet. Um, whereas someone with cleithrophobia would be fine in the closet, but if somebody like snicked the door and all of a sudden they realized they were now trapped in there and they didn't have the choice to leave, that's when their fear or panic would set in. So I thought that was really fascinating. I've never heard of it before. Neither had I. So I just wanted to share. Now I have cleithrophobia. Okay. And it is very situational specific, which we've established with these phobias. It, you generally, you know, with this particular one, it can be. And I have cleithrophobia when it, when it comes to taking clothes off over my head. Yeah. And, you know, you or people might be listening. They might know this. So I am not <laughs> af- like afraid of, you know, being around clothing or anything like that. But when I take something off that is tight and I have quite broad shoulders and I have sort of not the best mobility in my shoulders. Mm. So when I take something off over my head, if it gets stuck, so I can't really, I mean, if you're watching the video, you can see, I don't really have it. I can't put my arms flat. Um, so there's a lot going on. If I get stuck inside that, I will panic. Yeah. And I, it's been really well known for my siblings, my family um, and friends 
that if I'm wearing something, I will literally have to have them prepared, ready to go. And I will bend over in a right angle, quickly rip it up and they have to pull it off me as fast as they can. Cause I will not stand being inside clothing, even though I can breathe, I'm not going to die. Like it's a ridiculous phobia, but it will send me into a panic. It's a panic. Yeah. When yeah. you panic, it's irrational. You can't, you can't just will yourself out of it. Exactly. Now I can't say that I don't have claustrophobia as well, but like that would be, again, we spoke last episode about caving. I'll talk a little bit about that more, you know, a little bit about that today. And there'll be situations for sure, but it's definitely clethrophobia. That just got me. I was like, I'm clethrophobic to tight dresses. (laughs) (laughs) Get stuck on me head. Okay. Now we've done our little phobes. Spoiler alert. There is another phobia coming up later that you will learn more about. But in the line of claustrophobia and clethrophobia, I wanted to take you on a little journey of strange places that people have been stuck. Okay, I bet you my imagination can't even get there. So, you, I mean, you could. Some of these are quite funny. Most of them ended in, uh, you know, they were fine. So uh, please just, just hang on with me here. Okay. Now, a repairman who got stuck in an ATM in Texas (laughs) was forced to slip help me notes through the receipt slot after he accidentally locked himself in. (laughs) (laughs) How do where's the space for you to lock yourself in an ATM? How big do you need your ATMs to be? This is one of those ones where it's in the wall. So it's on the exterior of a building. It's on the wall. And it's one where you can actually like use a key and open up the Mm. ATM and assume (laughs) hop inside of it where it has a room where they would, you know, fill it up with money or whatever. Now the contractor was fixing a lock in a room behind the bank um, of an American ATM in Corpus Christi when he accidentally locked himself in. Oh, <laughs> uh, the article, this is the, all these ones that I'm saying at the moment are from the sun. So the writing is so trash and I love it. Banking on some good luck. <laughs> wink. <laughs> The worker who realized he left his phone in his truck, he tried to grab the attention of customers by using the machine by <laughs> by posting notes begging for help. One note read, please help. I'm stuck in here and don't have my phone. Please call my boss. <laughs> but some ATM users thought it was just a joke and they just ignored him. <laughs> so they left. Thankfully, one customer finally called the police who were also skeptical about this when they arrived on the scene. Uh, Corpus Christi Police Senior Officer Richard Olden told uh, news outlet that we came out here thinking, sure enough, uh, like this is going to be a joke. But then we could hear a little voice coming from inside the machine. (laughs) (laughs) After more than two hours trapped inside the ATM room, police had to kick down a door and then they freed the contractor. Uh, uh, senior officer Alden's added, everyone's okay, but you'll never see this in your life again. I wouldn't think that somebody was stuck in an ATM. It's just crazy. <laughs> I could just imagine this little chip monkey voice going, check or savings. <laughs> yeah. Twenties <laughs> or fifties. <laughs> Poor guy, but he was okay. Now the next tale is of a drunken woman. Always a great start. Yeah. Uh, she had her friends in hysterics after she hilariously got stuck in a child's high chair while she was on a late night trip to McDonald's. <laughs> hey, look, we've all been there. We've all been Maybe there. not a child's high chair, but we've all tried to do dumb shit when we, uh, 
under the influence. Inebriated. Yes, exactly. Now, this woman, she was wearing a purple dress, uh, decided to climb into the baby seat in uh, Basildon Branch, but unfortunately she didn't think about how to get out. Um, there is a video that you can watch and it is quite, <laughs> it's quite funny. Um, that video shows her struggling to get out of the chair, even with the assistance of one of her friends and another customer. A woman who's wearing an orange dress in the video holds her friend up while a man tries to pull the high chair off the victim's Mm. legs. Uh, But it seems as though the children's seat was more securely stuck on her, which makes her other friends start laughing (laughs) and they're filming the whole thing. She's kind of like like her friend in the orange dress is like picked her up by under her armpits and she's sort of just ragdolling and someone's trying to pull the (laughs) chair off her. More hilariously still, there is a customer in the background who seems completely unaware of what's going on and he continues to eat his food while dressed as a purple Teletubby. (laughs) (laughs) This guy with the triangle on his head is just sitting there eating his fries while this woman's just ragdolled around Macca's. Um, She did get out. They managed to get her out of the high chair. That's going to haunt her for the rest of her life. Surely she's not going to do that again. Uh, All right. Another little story is there's more bizarre footage that shows a distraught woman being helped by firefighters after getting her hand stuck down a toilet. Mm. (laughs) Now, this is near Houston in Texas. Guys, Texans, come on, guys. The hilarious clip shows Gracie Henderson being escorted out of her home by rescue workers while carrying the toilet out to her garden with her hand stuck in the (laughs) U-bend. DIY enthusiast Gracie had snagged her watch down the tight gap while using her arm as a makeshift plunger. Get a plunger, Gracie. Yeah. Get an actual plunger. They bought like $5.99. Oh, now... After appearing to have exhausted all options open to her, I would love to hear that list, Mm. the distressed amateur plumber called emergency services for help. Armed with a sledgehammer, the brave firefighters marched Gracie out to her lawn while her faithful chihuahua watched watched on with bated breath. Oh, God, the writing. (laughs) It's so bad. Clearly terrified that she might have to spend her remaining days walking the earth with a toilet as a handbag. (laughs) Brave Gracie instructed the rescue workers to smash the lavatory. The tension was palpable as one courageous fireman gently tapped the toilet, eventually breaking a hole near the unforgiving U-bend. From there, the firefighter was was able to unsnag Gracie's watch, enabling her to break free from her porcelain prison. (laughs) Uh, A relieved Gracie confirmed to the camera that she was not injured before the clip ended. Oh my goodness, Just these people. wasted a perfectly good toilet because of your stupidity. Oh, it's great. I love it. And I would just, yeah, I don't know. Buy a plunger. Like, do yourself a favour. Okay, switching tacks here a touch. We are going back into the world of, of caving, of spelunking, of doing things that I'm not going to do. Dave's uh, Dave. I just called you Dave. <laughs> I'm reading the name of a person on the next story named Dave. Dom is into it. Not me. Okay. Now article, this is an article from the guardian in 2014. So okay. we can imagine that the writing is of a slightly better quality. It definitely is. I have parked the sun articles. We are now moving into the guardian space. <laughs> Okay, now in the space of 24 hours, two spectacular rescue operations were carried out in southern Germany. 
Okay, so the first rescue was uh, an explorer who got injured at the bottom of Germany's deepest cave 12 days ago, re-emerged after a rescue operation that could lead the rescinding cave complex to be closed for good. Bavarian mountain rescue authorities confirmed that Johann Westhauser had been brought out to the top of the cave at 11.44 local time. Johan. So he'd been down in this cave for 12 days. What a silly billy. It's rough. It's rough. A mobile emergency unit had been awaiting Westhauser at the cave entrance. Shortly after midday, he was airlifted to a hospital nearby. Even though Westhauser suffered some head injuries during his accident that uh, had not requ- had not um, been given adequate treatment for more than a week, the mission leader um, said that the evacuee was in good health considering the circumstances. Now, a little more about this rescue. It was quite intensive. So the logistics of this mission involved 728 people from five countries, and it's estimated to have cost several million euros. Jeez, Johan, that's a bill, baby. Johan, what you doing, Johan? You silly Billy. Now, I'll tell you what he was doing. On the 8th of June... Johann Westhauser, he was hit by rockfall around 1.30 in the morning and he suffered brain trauma despite wearing a helmet. So he was still wearing his helmet, but he got hit so hard that he still suffered some brain trauma. Well, that's not his fault. That's true. He is in a cave, um, but the tricky part is at this time, himself and his team, they had already descended this cave, which happens to be quite deep. And they were already a thousand meters deep. So it has taken them quite some time to get into one of the deepest caves. uh, This one in Germany. So he is struck on the head and they're, you know, 3,280 feet away from the surface. So one of his teammates stayed with him um, while another person started to, uh, you know, ascend toward the entrance. There was, surprisingly, no radio or cell phone reception inside of this cave. (laughs) Makes sense. It took... Go figure. (laughs) It took um, this teammate 10 hours, 10 hours to reach the top. So they had a little ways to go, that's for sure. So it was a distance of around 6Ks, um, you know, back up. Now, after this teammate reached daylight and made the urgent call, um, emergency procedures were initiated. Mm-hmm. Now, on the evening of the 11th of June, so this is three days later, so it's the 8th of June that he got struck in the head, so it's not until the 11th that a physician was able to reach him. Um, a minor traumatic brain injury was diagnosed, and together with a second physician arriving later that night, it was decided that Westhauser was fit to be transported. I so just that love the that concern. they, you know, needed a doctor to go, oh, there's a chunk of your head cracked open or there's a bit of your brain hanging out. Whoops, maybe maybe you got a bit of brain trauma. <laughs> I think you've hurt yourself, Dal. Here, pop, it, pop an ice pack on it. We'll see how we go. Um, but, I mean, that's a good thing. So the brain trauma wasn't so significant that they couldn't move him for fear of hurting him more, which is, that's positive. Now, the transport through the narrow passages and supplies for the large number of people inside and outside the cave was really challenging. So they managed to put together a stretcher um, so that they could just strap him to that because he wasn't really going to be climbing up himself. He's still got, you know, a a brain injury. Um, 
but they put this stretcher together and they made it as shockproof as possible. So as he was ding donging up the cave, he was not going to be in too much in too much strife. Now, luckily, <laughs> ding dong. There's a clip. There's a clip online where somebody hits a water rescue and they're attached to the bottom of a helicopter and it just. It's... Kate's lost it, folks. She's done. And it starts spinning and it just does not. St- <laughs> ah. Oh, goodness me. Not okay if you're on the stretcher, but holy moly. That tickled me. That was great. Okay. So <laughs> the shockproof stretcher is ding-donging back up to the top of this cave. Um, but there were no engines or machinery available, so all of the work was done by hand. So this is another incredible feat of human effort. As as it explains, 726 people or however many it was, it's a lot. And Germans um, and are the- built pretty big. so <laughs> Yes, built tough. Um, now the rescue staff, they use their own bodies as counterweights to the stretcher. So they're like, you know, it's like a full on whole pulley system with humans. It's yeah. Fantastic. Um, now Westhauser was transported to, uh, that trauma hospital. He was okay, which is great. And he does go on to do more climbing, uh, and caving and things like that. Now at a press conference, uh, Norbert Highland of the Bavarian mountain rescue service said the mission had opened a new chapter in Alpine history. Uh, Westhauser, Johan, um, Westhauser, he was a scientist. So he was part of a team of researchers who were exploring the cave. So he wasn't just doing it for shits and gigs. He was a scientist exploring it. Now the cave was discovered in 1995. Um, so rescinding, I'm going to call it that. Mm -hmm. Now that name in German translates to gigantic thing. Oh, okay. So there you go. Um, apparently it was, you know, named that after an exclamation uttered by some explorer, Hermann Sommer, who just went, what a gigantic thing. (laughs) (laughs) They went, great name, slap it on the title, put it at the entrance. (laughs) I hope no one ever describes me as that. (laughs) (laughs) Not not yet anyway. Um, you know, give me some time to get through my youth and my, my good years, I suppose. Now, the local authorities from whom the media attention has caused numerous headaches uh, are likely or they were likely to see consequences from the accident. And there was a vote to close the cave down, um, which the entrance of the cave was sealed off by police to prevent further accidents um, by curious people and tourists. A special permit is now required and only issued to people with a justified interest, physical suitability and a professional qualification. So people can still go down there to conduct their experiments and things, but they're not inclined to send 700 plus people to go and help any Joe blogs who falls down there because he's ill-equipped. Enter at your own will, folks. Correct. Exactly. Now, that was one of these massive rescues that had to happen in Germany within 24 hours. This other rescue. <laughs> Germany, not having a good run, baby. Come on, it's like the it thing to do. There's Thailand, there's Germany I and know. Utah. It's like... So many. Now, both men involved in those rescue efforts had become trapped deep inside cave-like structures and there were, you know, large teams helping to set them free. 
But Johann Westhauser ended up telling the world how he got trapped inside Germany's deepest cave. On the flip side, the anonymous exchange student preferred to keep his story quiet about how he got trapped in a tight spot in Germany. Oh, here we go. This is going to be a good story. (laughs) On Friday afternoon, a young American in Tübingen had to be rescued by 22 firefighters after getting trapped inside a giant sculpture of a vagina. (laughs) (laughs) That's taking his gynecology degree a little too far, darling. I know. Now, the Shakan Pai, I believe that's the pronunciation, it is translated as to making love artwork. It's by a Peruvian artist named uh, Fernando Dalayara. And it's been outside Tübingen's University Institute for Microbiology and Virology since 2001. And it's previously mainly attracted juvenile sniggers rather than adventurous explorers. <laughs> According to Delahara, the 32-ton sculpture made out of red Veronese marble is meant to signify the gateway to the world. Yeah, which is that's lovely, cool. people. Yeah. Vulvas and vaginas are not funny, okay? They're, they're not. Getting um, stuck I mean, in a giant one, now that's funny. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Police confirmed that the firefighters turned midwives and delivered the student by hand without the application of tools. <laughs> oh, my God, or an epidural. Ah, this was my favourite quote, though, to end the article. The mayor of Tübingen told the, one of the local newspapers that he struggled to imagine how the accident could have happened and said, even when considering the most extreme adolescent fantasies, to reward such a masterly achievement with the use of 22 firefighters almost pains my soul. (laughs) (laughs) I would, what I want to know is whereabouts he got stuck in the female reproductive system because that would have just been... It's so funny. I believe... I mean, there's a couple of pictures. I don't know if it's the same person that got stuck, but the ones that I did find online is, yeah, it's both of his, uh, yeah, up, basically kind of up to, almost up to his knees, like his legs are stuck and he's lying on the ground <laughs> and his legs are trapped right in the cool. <laughs> Goodness gracious. You went feet first. Gosh. I know. What a goose. Never go feet first, guys. No. There's a hot tip for you. Yeah. If you're trying to impress the ladies, probably... <laughs> Maybe start with anything Thing else. else. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, again, we'll never yuck someone's yum. No. So feed your thing. Have a good time. All right. I am moving on from claustrophobia, so to speak. Now, I'm going to have a bit of a chat to you about a another phobia, closely linked, but in 1891, the uh, Italian psychiatrist Enrique Morselli describes uh, taphophobia, defining it as taph, taph, T-A, I said T-A-F, it's not, it's T-A-P-H-O-P-H-O-B-I-A, taphophobia, defining it as an extreme condition of claustrophobia due to the fear of being buried alive oh here we go this is a good one like here we go so much now tougher 
is from this every single time I go to say this, it makes me think of my big fat Greek wedding <laughs> when the dad is trying to link every word back to Greek with the little Greek, Greek language. Taphophobia from the Greek taphos, it means grave or tomb, and phobos, it means fear. Tapho, phobos, there you go. <laughs> Well so done, it's, Kate. Thanks. Um, I apologize to anybody with Greek heritage that's listening for I that. Don't. Okay. Uh, now, this is an abnormal, so psycho psychopathological fear of being buried alive. So this is like everybody's got the ick of being buried alive. Yeah. This is a full-blown, yeah, you, you, you're going to have a real hard time. Um, if this happens now, this is, that's the, you know, so tophophobia, the fear of being buried alive as a result of being incorrectly pronounced dead. Mm. So that's the, the, um, you know, the distinction, I suppose. All right. I'm switching tax to a different website. All that's interesting, which is one of my favorites. I find a lot of good stuff on there. Really, really good. So uh, an article by the name of, uh, wait, no, the article's not called that. The person (laughs) that wrote it is, her name's Erin Kelly. Thanks, Erin. And she talks a little bit about some people in history who have suffered this unfortunate occurrence of being buried alive. Please tell me. I've heard quite a few of them, Kate. um... Yeah, there are some popular ones um, and I've just, you know, kind of put them all together. I did omit a couple. I thought they were a bit heavy and I was trying to make a, you know, I'm going on a bit of a lighter trail (laughs) this evening. Uh, So being buried alive, it ranks pretty high on the list of terrible ways to die. True. And it used to happen a lot more than it does now. In fact, in earlier days of medicine, uh, it was much more difficult to determine if someone was actually dead or if they were just in a coma or emaciated or paralysed. Oh. So it's a bit tricky. Um, Especially if you're in, in a days. McDonald's and you were stuck in a kiddie's chair. Exactly. exactly. Like, pop them in a grave, bury them. They're done. Forget it. Uh, fillet of fish, number 42. Sorry, she's dead. Well, we think she she's is. Dead. Tell she's you dead. in a week. Buried her. Also, why is she ordering a fillet of fish out of everything on the menu? Really? Okay. Um, now, starting around the 18th century, suspected corpses were subjected to abusive tests to establish death. So it's not like today where they'll just check a pulse or put you on a monitor. Some of the things that they used to do was fairly benign nipple pinching. I like that it's distinguished as fairly benign. Uh, nipple pinching all the way up to hot pokers inserted in their rectums. What? Leave so... the rectum alone, folks. <laughs> so we just dis- we just discussed protecting and revering the vulva and vagina. I'm going to do it for my folks and protect the rectum. No hot pokers, no. unless you're into that. Again. Now... If nobody uh, said anything after they got a hot poker run up the clucker, then they were like, well, they must be dead. So so they would just, you know, bury people, I suppose. Now, um, laughter ensued in 1846 when French doctor Eugène Beauchou, I'm going to, yep, suggested the use of new stethoscope technology to listen for the existence of a heartbeat. But they laughed him out of the room. They're like, don't be ridiculous. I'm sticking with my hot poker up the rectum (laughs) with a a fairly benign nipple pinch, uh, just as a little bit of an added bonus. (laughs) And if they don't react, (laughs) uh, take your stethoscope and jam it, Eugene. Um, 
All right. So, <laughs> poor Eugene. Poor Eugene. The stethoscope did come back, though. Spoiler alert. Yeah. They're, apparently, they worked out okay. So, now, why we should all feel thankful that the days of inferior medical equipment and lack of knowledge are mostly behind us, they haven't rid humanity of this horrible experience quite yet. There is an evil in the world that still makes the threat of being buried alive a valid concern. And as some of these stories point that out, good luck sleeping tonight after hearing these, especially if you suffer from taphophobia. (laughs) The first story I have to share is in 1937, a 19-year-old from France named Angelo Hayes went for a motorcycle ride. Perhaps he had minimal knowledge of how to operate such a vehicle because he ended up crashing it and slamming headfirst into a brick wall. Yeah, not a good... (laughs) Not a great parking job, to be honest, Angelo. Now, when help arrived, they found that Hayes' head was mangled and he didn't have a pulse. So at least they checked for a pulse. They didn't go straight for the poker. poker. (laughs) Where's his nipple? (laughs) Don't you do it hard, though. It must be fairly benign. Uh, Now, he was... So terrible to look at that his parents were kept away from seeing him for their own good. Uh, And he was uh, declared dead and he was buried three days later. Due to an investigation by the insurance company, the body of Angelo Hayes was exhumed two days after the funeral. It was quite a surprise to find that his body was still warm. Apparently, in the aftermath of the accident, his body put itself into a deep coma and required very little oxygen to upkeep his system. After being buried alive, he received proper medical care and he went on to make a full recovery. He then invented a type of security coffin that he toured across France. It was reported to contain a small oven, a refrigerator and a hi-fi cassette player. <laughs> I'm afraid not it didn't take off as well yeah, as the didn't stel- take stethoscope. <laughs> <laughs> not, a, not a hot seller, that one. Um, but... How about that? He slams his sconce right into a wall, gets buried, but because he was in a coma, the body's like, no, that's right. We don't need too much oxygen. Just don't hold. But he was down for two days. Yeah, it was on Please hold. We'll be back online shortly. I guess, you know, silver lining here is he probably didn't remember any of the experience. Like he wouldn't have remembered the crash and he wouldn't have remembered being buried alive. That's true. Imagine trying to break that story as a doctor. (laughs) Um, so you were in hospital for two days. Yeah, yeah, hospital. Yeah, you were fine. That's okay. We didn't bury you or anything. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) Now, here is a story about a uh, London butcher. Now, this London butcher was named Lawrence Cawthorn. This fearful story of premature, premature burial comes from a pamphlet entitled The Most Lamentable and Deplorable Accident. It happens to every guy, don't worry. It really does. Um, now, this is in 1661, so we're going back a ways. Uh, Lawrence Cawthorn fell fatally ill in 1661, and his landlady was eager for a swift demise so that she could inherit his belongings. Oh, well, he had other plans. <laughs> I would like his set of steak knives. Get him out of here. So she saw to it that he was quickly pronounced dead with a doc- without a doctor's consultation and buried at a nearby chapel. So she's just like opens the corridor and shouts down the hallway, hey, Jim, can you come and see if Laurie's carked it? Yeah. Chuck him in the grave. Uh, now, not long after his entombment, visitors and mourners heard screams and shrieks coming oh, from the grave. No. When they dug him up, he had passed, 
but Cawthorn's shroud was completely shredded. His eyes were swollen and his head was bloodied from where he had beaten it against the coffin. Oh, goodness. Okay, that's not as funny as... uh... No. So unlike Angelo, he knew that he was in there and he tried to get out and he shrieked and screamed, but unfortunately passed before they could get him out. That's not okay. Yeah, I hope old Betty, whatever her name is, didn't... (laughs) hope she got arrested. (laughs) Yeah, goodness gracious. She's, um... Yes, that's not very pleasant. Don't do that, guys. That's another hot tip for you. Don't just pronounce people dead when without a doctor. It's not fair. All right. Now, here is a little story about a person named Stephen Small. On one night in 1987, so we're we're jumping all over the timeline here, but keep up, keep up. Was he small one or night, was he big? He was small. He was small, big. Uh, one night in 1987... A 39-year-old Illinois businessman businessman named Stephen Small received a phone call that one of his renovation projects was being broken into. He didn't realise that by going to this property, he was actually being lured to his own abduction. Oh, fuck off. His wife, Nancy, received a call at 3.30 in the morning informing her that the ransom on her husband was a million dollars. The family received five calls in total. And they were willing to comply with the demands, but they couldn't understand them because the quality of the sound was really poor on the messages. So they're like, mate, we want to give you the million bucks, but we we don't know where you are. We can't understand you. What is going on? Uh, uh, did they have service with Optus? They <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. But <laughs> um, For anybody who is outside of Australia, that's going to make zero sense. But that's okay. I'm here. I'm here. Now, where Stephen was during this time was in a homemade wooden box, which was about three feet underground. So it's not like crazy deep buried, but enough for it to not be pleasant. Now, his abductors provided him with a flimsy breathing tube and some water. So it was suggesting that they intended to let him live um, if they got payment. But something happened that they didn't plan on. Stephen's breathing tube failed. Oh, it wasn't like, you know, a couple of toilet paper <laughs> rolls <laughs> taped together. Yeah. Well, it could have been, but it, it and it broke. Mm. So that was not ideal. So when police finally used the air patrol to find Small's vehicle, it was too late. They couldn't pinpoint how long he'd been inside the box, but they did deduce that he'd been dead for several hours. Oh. Fortunately, his abductors, Daniel J. Edwards and Nancy Rish, not wife Nancy, another Nancy, were convicted of first-degree murder and aggravated kidnapping. They planned it, said Kankiki. Ooh. <laughs> Kankiki. Deputy Chief Robert Pippin. They built a box and they put a ventilation system in. So they planned it. You're not wrong. That's aggravated. That's premeditated in my book. Yeah. So his abductors did go to to go to prison which is good good bye okay we're going back in time again in 1889 octavia smith married a wealthy kentuckian named james hatcher the newlyweds had a son who they called jacob however infant mortality rates were you know really high in the 1800s and unfortunately jacob did die at infancy Now, losing her son, this put Octavia into a deep depression and she was bedridden for several months. During this time, she also began showing signs of a mysterious illness. Eventually, her body entered a coma-like state and nobody could awaken her. 
She was pronounced dead in May of 1891, just four months after Jacob's death. Now, it was unusually hot uh, in May that year, and so Octavia was buried quickly. Um, so they would, sometimes she's embalming, but it wasn't a common practice at this point. So they decided to bury her quickly because it was so hot. But a few days later, others in the town began falling into a similar coma-like sleep with shallow breathing patterns, only to awaken a few days later. Oh. They discovered that this was an illness which was caused by the bite of the tsetse fly. Yeah. Mm. So it's so hot. These tsetse, that's how you say it, right? Yeah. Is that right? Tsetse fly. Mm. Now, fearing that she had been buried alive, James panicked and had Octavia exhumed, thinking she might awaken. She had, but James was too late. Oh, not again. Octavia's coffin was airtight. He found the coffin lining had been shredded and Octavia's fingernails were bloody and her face was frozen in a contorted shriek of terror. Oh, Octavia. A traumatised James reburied Octavia and he erected a lifelike monument of her that sits in the cemetery that she rests in. Historian Jessica Forsyth notes that James went on to develop a severe phobia of being buried alive. No shit. Yeah, why not? <clears throat> now, most of what can be gleaned from this unfortunate case is from a newspaper article uh, dating back to 1884. Kentucky's Hickman Courier, that was the paper, it reported that a young lady by the name of Anna Hockwalt was dressing for her brother's wedding and sat down to rest. Um, oh, this is the next story. Sorry, we've moved on from Octavia. Oh, bye, Octavia. I do apologise. Bye, Octavia. Soz about it. Um, moving on to our new story of Anna Hockwalt. Uh, while she's dressing for her brother's wedding, she sat down to rest in the kitchen. When someone checked on her a few minutes later, she was still there, but her head was leaning against the wall. And she was apparently lifeless. Medical aid arrived and the doctor assumed <laughs> assumed she was dead because uh, he couldn't revive her. He didn't even bring his pokers and refused to nipple grab. Oh, it's, well, that's his first issue really, isn't it? Uh, now, Anna's generally nervous nature and the fact that she suffered from heart palpitations was the cause of death. However, this assumption didn't sit well with some of Anna's friends who thought her ears still looked pink as though the blood was flowing through them. I am now going to read to you the original article oh, God. from <laughs> from 1884 because we all love a bit of 1884 sexist misogynist writing about women with their, you know, <laughs> vapors. Yeah, pre-warning <laughs> to everyone. Okay. So, the article reads buried alive, the terrible discovery made by the friends of uh Utoa bed maiden so that would be the i don't know the place a special from dayton ohio to the chicago times says a sensation has been created here by the discovery of the fact that miss hockwalt a young woman of high social connections who was supposed to have died suddenly january 10th was buried alive the horrible truth was discovered a few days ago and since then it's been the talk of the city the circumstances of miss hockwalt's death were peculiar it occurred the morning of the marriage of her brother to Miss Emma Schwind at Emmanuel's church. Shortly before six o'clock, the young lady was dressing for the nuptials and had gone into the kitchen. A few moments afterwards, she was found sitting on a chair with her head leaning against the wallpaper, a wall apparently lifeless. Medical aid was summoned. 
Dr. Jewett, after a minute examination, pronounced her dead. Mass was being read at the time in Emmanuel Church, and it was proposed to postpone the wedding. <laughs> but Father Hahn thought it best to continue, and the wedding was consummated in gloom by low mass. Oh. <laughs> oh, I know your sister's just died, but we've really got to get on with this wedding because I'm not available again until June. Yeah, we paid for it. <laughs> An examination showed that Anna was excitable, uh, was of excitable temperament, nervous, and afflicted with a sympathetic palpitation of the heart. Dr. Jewett thought that this the case of death, the cause of death. This article is quite um, old yeah. and blurry, so I'm, uh, you know, I'm just following along. You're doing great, around. Kate. Oh, thank you. The following day, the girl was interred in Woodland. The friends of Miss Hockwell were unable to forget the terrible, terrible impression, and several ladies observed that her ears bore a remarkably natural colour and could not dispel the idea that she was not dead. They conveyed their opinion to Anna's parents, and the thought preyed upon them, so the body was taken from the grave. It is stated that when the coffin was opened, it was discovered that the supposed inanimate body had turned upon its right side. Oh. The hair of the head had been torn out in handfuls, and the flesh of the fingers had been bitten from the bones. Oh. The body was reinterred and efforts made to conceal the case, but there are those who state that they saw the body and they know the truth of the facts narrated. Oh, goodness. That's some graphic Poor imagery. Anna. Yeah. Yes. Woo! Okay. Whew. Enough about caves. Enough about being buried alive. <laughs> Our pop culture reference of the week, believe it or not, uh, is Buried. A movie where he gets buried, and it's a story of an Iraq-based American civilian truck driver, Paul Conroy, who gets attacked and then he's buried alive and he only has a lighter and a flask and a flashlight and a knife and glow sticks and a pen and a pencil and a mobile phone. <laughs> and you have to sit through the film and see what happens. Nice. And that is claustrophobia number two. Well done, Kate. <laughs> I'm so excited to see that movie. I've heard really good things and Ryan Reynolds, who plays... Um, Paul, Paul. Yes, Paul Conroy. Uh, speaks about how uh, challenging a film it was to make, but he was really, really proud of making it. I've seen like a little interview with him. So I'm, I've never seen it. I'm pumped to watch it. And I reckon we should totes do it as a bonus episode for our patrons. Agreed. I have it ready to go and I would happily, yeah, happily do that. Yep. I read a really great review of it too, where it was, you know, the least Ryan Reynolds, the Ryan Reynolds film Ever in in the best possible way, yeah. Which is cool. Oh, <clears throat> Kate, take a breath, you poor thing. Thank you thing. for joining me. <laughs> um, I had a lot more fun with this one than I did last time. Yeah, no tears, so, here, folks. No. Now you can all go to your dinner table, go to your brunch table, go to your work meeting, and share a little story that you heard from today. There's plenty to pick from, and you can you know have a bit of a chin wag with your co-workers and your wives and husbands and boyfriends and girlfriends and whoever else your dogs your cats <laughs> you might even want to try the hot poker nipple twist move oh hippity dippity <laughs> now surprisingly you might be wondering what is wrong with kate today <laughs> why is she behaving in this manner this is me on uh, day three of not drinking any alcohol or anything like that. I'm doing Oct Sober with my sister Chelsea. 
We're going to be going strong for the whole month of October. Healthy, wealthy, wise. Good on you, Kate. I would do it with you, but I've already failed because I had a gym (laughs) just then. (laughs) But you've also been really unwell, so I wouldn't want to put that on you where you've got to try, you know, harder to do things that don't make you enjoy life. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for folks that haven't, you know, caught on just yet, this has been episode 49, claustrophobia number two, which means we've got quite a milestone to hit next week, Kate, don't we? Yes, we do. And if I can count correctly, which I've been known not to be able to do. Absolutely, you can. I've seen you <laughs> with wine bottles. One, two, <laughs> yeah. But Kate and I have decided to do something rather different next week for our big mega 50th birthday. Yay. So, well, 50th episode, I should say. We're not 50 years old. No. We are almost one years old in shitting bricks terms. We are. So stay tuned for that as well. But. And also stay tuned for episode 69 because that'll be all right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I think we've spent our comedy. (laughs) BYO rectum pokers and nipple clamps. Yes. (laughs) Trojan, sponsor us, please. Yeah. All right, folks, we'll see you next week for our special mystery 50th episode. And well done, yes, Kate. Yes, it's going to be so much fun. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed. We love you. Write into us. Join our Patreon. See you soon. Adios, amigos. Bye. Bye. That's a wrap. Big shout out to everyone for tuning in to Shit and Bricks. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us. Plus, you can find extra little nuggets on our socials. Next week, we'll be back talking more shit, so do not forget to tune in. And remember to wipe, flush, and wash your hands. Goodbye. Goodbye.